This was a great one. Blake and Kalai. So we had a chance to sit down and speak to a couple of the rescue captains from the Honolulu Fire Department. They spoke to us about growing up on the island and the advantage of getting to know the water. They spent some time talking about the uptick in rescues of tourists that hit the hiking trails and, and water challenges that leave them in trouble. And how one of them may or may not have been a star in Baywatch, Hawaii. Kalai, this one's on you. Okay, welcome to the show. Um, this is Thursday, August 5th. We are sitting in the Honolulu Police Department. I guess, is, is this considered downtown Honolulu? More, yeah, okay, so we're in downtown Honolulu in the Police Department building sitting around uh, gonna have a conversation with some of the, um, the rescue heroes of um, the Honolulu Fire Department and I just made you all rescue heroes typically what I like to do is start off with something like uh, we talk we talk to first responders and firefighters but I, um, I don't know if I'm quick enough to get away from you guys so I'm gonna stay away from those types of jokes you guys look like you're a lot faster and stronger than me my name is Eddie Molina I am the Southeast Regional Manager for the alert program and you guys are on our podcast or the title of our podcast is the call the call just to represent basically what we all go out on every day we get calls as police officers every day and we go responding to places and you guys as firefighters and more importantly as rescue crew you guys get calls and none of them are going to be easy calls so we know that everything's just a little bit more escalated so we're going to talk to you a little bit about that stuff i was a police officer in the city of san antonio for 25 years and had the uh the fortune to run uh, run calls on the patrol side and special operations side and did my career working in the covert operations side you guys have a totally different um, job um, I'll let my partner introduce herself before we move too far Emily if you want to do that yeah I am um, Emily Pettit the regional coordinator for um, for alert for the alert program Cool. And also on the panel, we're gonna we're gonna um, we've got a special guest with us that kind of partnered up with us on this trip. We're spending a week in Honolulu, um, getting to know the department better, uh, both uh, fire and police department better. And we've been fortunate enough to get partnered up with them on different training um, regiments that we're bringing to to the islands. And um, this week we had the uh, good fortune of, of meeting up with a new partner, uh, Mike. You want to introduce yeah, yourself? Mike Little. Yeah, and I come from Los Angeles. I work with Regional Training Group. I actually sit in the Joint Regional Intelligence Center, which is uh, the fusion center for the, the Los Angeles region, actually six counties, uh, and I'm in a, what we call a uh, senior intelligence officer position there. But I coordinate a range of training initiatives, intelligence sharing, that kind of thing, uh, ensuring that we have the right interoperability with our, our fire partners, our law partners, and other you know, public safety type folks. One of my big projects is complex coordinated terrorist attack planning, so ensuring that we're prepared for, you know, when the big balloon goes up, you know, to prepare uh, to respond effectively as, uh, you know, uh, various disciplines. Awesome. And across the table, let you guys introduce yourself. Um, Blake, if you want to go first, we can save the, the names for last. Sure. Uh, my name is Blake Takahashi. 22-year um, um, on the job with Honolulu Fire Department. Currently assigned to Rescue One First Platoon. Uh, I'm one of six rescue captains. Um, yeah, I've been doing this for for a bit now. Awesome! Thanks for being here. Uh, aloha. My name is Kalai Miller. I'm uh, 25 years with the department. I'm a search and rescue captain. Uh, 
at the rescue two unit we only have two rescue companies for the entire island or the entire county um and yeah i've been about 15 years in, in rescue service so that's a great career that's awesome so one of the things one of the focuses i uh i talked to one of the higher ups on the on the fire department side who's one of our our partners um chief craig uchimura mm-hmm. he was uh, he was nice enough to hook us up with you guys so one of the things that I really wanted to focus on is the things that you do at work because there's so many rescues going on out there and the general public doesn't really understand the nature of what the technical rescue units do and just how often you guys are called out. And we know, I know from the law enforcement side, we used you guys all the time. We asked you guys for information and we talked to, we had a recording yesterday where we were talking about breaching and we learned so much from the fire side and i spent so much time stealing stuff from the technical rescue guys in san antonio i hope that they're not listening to this but um it's really cool to listen to all the stuff that you all learned you've you've helped me on ropes so much and i really appreciate that all all the training that you guys is is top notch all the training you guys bring is top notch so i really appreciate that but before we hit that stuff i'd like to hear a little bit about what it is you guys do on a day-to-day basis and what brought you guys here um blake did you grow up on the island i did yeah i was uh, born and raised here went to high school here and ended up uh going away to school to, to college on the mainland and then uh came back home and took the test got lucky and got into the fire department pretty pretty shortly after that awesome so college on the mainland how did you pick um what was your i guess what was the impetus for getting out getting off the island uh, i wanted change i wanted seasons i wanted snow uh but i also wanted a chance to to continue on with my sports uh in the at the college level so i went to end up going to cu boulder um great place beautiful town got to play water polo there uh just yeah i just had a blast that's awesome so boulder colorado it's a little bit different elevations different from the islands what was the biggest change what was the biggest difference that you noticed uh well one of the culture change i mean just coming from hawaii you know i, I was uh born and raised here didn't didn't get out a ton so that was a big one and then also just experiencing the different seasons you know actually having snow days and and all that kind of stuff so that was a that was a big one for a kid from Hawaii for sure that's awesome and it's good to hear that um that's a that's a long way from home what was communications like with you and your family I mean uh the Hawaiian people are very family oriented and so what was communications like with uh, with them back then? I don't, I don't know what age range you're at, but I know in my days when I was in school, we didn't have cell phones <laughs> and, uh, and we didn't have the, the, um, the email system so quickly. We didn't, we didn't have, um, what is it, Instagram and all those to send messages with? Social media. Yeah, we didn't have the He'd social media. He'd roll up media. a little message on the pigeon, <laughs> tie it to the leg and send it home. <laughs> Telegraph, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah. uh, no, I, I had the... The weekly calls with mom for sure and then the, uh, the spattering of uh, please send money <laughs> <laughs> that's great so see you boulder and water polo that's awesome stuff um kalai yes kalai. so before i ask you any other questions i want you to explain your name a little bit but oh, you're man. you're nice <laughs> enough to give me the whole name can you give me the whole name Clifford. Is, is this is this a Hawaiian class? Or in Hawaiian language class? Um, yeah, just Kalai is my middle name, and typically in Hawaiian families, you go by what is your Hawaiian name, and even if it's not your first name. Um, and so, shortened version of mine is Kalai. Kalai Maikalani is my whole name. Just means like a calm that that is comes from above. It, there's a little story 
with um, how I got that name and my mom being set at ease on her way to the hospital to give birth. But, but yeah, it's just kind of a thing here. If you have a Hawaiian name, you pretty much you go by that, you know, especially. Right. Yeah. But then when you go to the mainland or run into people that aren't used to <laughs> pronouncing the, yeah. you know, Hawaiian uh, language, it, it can get to be a challenge. Some, some of the names are pretty easy and straightforward. Mine is one of those that's a little more challenging, but uh, what the heck. How many how many words is there? How many is is it several different words or several different names that that makes your whole Hawaiian name? Uh, it's a few different words, but you know, um, like the Hawaiian language only has seventeen letters, you know, as opposed to like the twenty six that you would have in in English, and it's just different kind of sounds and different ways that they they use the language and different sentence structure and and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a whole. It's a whole different deal. That's a, that's a rabbit hole right there. Yeah, that's cool. And, and that's in, it's interesting to me because I, yeah. I did not know that the Hawaiian language only had 17 letters. That's, that's interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I know that in our family and several families of, of my friends, when you're fixing to get in trouble, your parent uses all of your names all at the same time. Does your mom still do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's when you know it's coming. Definitely. Yeah. I do the same with my kids, too. So. That's awesome. That's a, that's a learned skill. Have, have, you followed, have you followed suit with your kids and used the Hawaiian naming system? Yeah, my son's name is Clifford. That's awesome. Great. Yeah. Junior. Yeah. He's yeah. Junior. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they each have a, an English name and an English family name and a Hawaiian name. So That's great. I, that's I think that's common. one of the most beautiful things. That, that you know, The island is obviously is filled with beauty. All of the islands are filled with beauty. And, and as we take the, those things, like you guys take those things for granted. We were talking to, uh, to some people from the police department and fire department yesterday. And they were talking about how I think we need to just hear it more often because we take things for granted here and the beauty that comes off the island, the beauty that comes out of your all's culture. It's just one of those things that y'all are used to every day and we come over here to visit and actually experience. So that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, Mike, before we go to you, I know you're going to help us out on the panel side and, and kind of asking questions, but I want you to explain a little bit about what, how you grew up in the, in the department. What made, you, what made you pick becoming a, or a firefighter? Firefight. Well, yeah. Um, that's that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure what brought me to the fire department, but it uh, seemed like an exciting uh, place to work. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, everyone always looks up to firefighters. And so uh, I had some close friends that worked in the fire department and um, decided to take the test and was successful in the process. Uh, saw that there was a lot of other opportunities, um, ultimately wound up, you know, in a, in a, a number of assignments. I uh, did USAR, did HAZMAT, things like that. Uh, ultimately wound up uh, as I promoted. Uh, I was a spokesperson for a number of years at PIO and uh, really enjoyed doing that. I think that's what kind of brought me into this Homeland Security realm. After 9-11, uh, we had a Homeland Security group and I was brought into that group to kind of assist with some of the media relations, media coordination type things. Uh, ultimately wound up in arson, heading uh, that group um, with the Sheriff Department, as I mentioned, the Terrorism Early Warning Group. Um, that kind of brought us into close connection with obviously the counterterrorism community this after 9-11. Uh, after that, I wound up um, working in our Joint Regional Intelligence Center, the Fusion Center, got deputized as a, a, a task force officer with uh, the JTTF, the FBI JTTF, which was a great privileged opportunity for many, many years to work closely, uh, you know, counterterrorism type, type issues and coordination issues with our agencies throughout the region. And uh, ultimately, where I'm right now with the RTG and um, working really training issues within the LA area for our, our departments and also interagency response issues, ensuring that we're coordinated on all the range of bad things that can happen. We have the right intelligence sharing, information sharing, and response coordination for the big type events. 
That's a Reader's Digest version. It's a little bit more moving parts than that, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. That's great. Great stories. So I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep forgetting to bring things up, and I'm going to push back to you guys on, on the opposite side of the table here in a second. But while Emily has this side of the cameras up real quick, I want to point out a couple of things that, that actually show on cameras. If we have some some fire stickers that show on, on our on our camera right now that you guys brought in, and um, it's uh, it says fire surf and rescue because I guess I'm guessing that's part of your all squad. Um, I also want to point out the uh, the Alert Surf Club deal. We're coming to we're coming for a, a week long trip in in Honolulu and and doing as much uh, interfacing with the departments as we possibly could. And one of our uh, our graphics designers back at the Alert program in San Marcos, Texas, um, we work for Texas State University, and so Julie Can too came up with this design like like on the hurry and how she put it together. I don't know. Her brain works way different than mine, but Julie, thank you for putting this together. It really came out great. So the sticker, explain the sticker a little bit to me. <laughs> well, I, I just think it's, um, you know, when you're in Hawaii, the birthplace of surfing, um, to find somebody that surfs is like you throw a stick and you hit somebody that surfs. You know, every other house got a surfer in it. And so a lot of the active guys that get drawn into a career like fire, a lot of them surf and so you know we have like a how many departments would have a yearly uh softball tournaments or whatever we have a um surf contest and stuff no like kidding that. and so I, I believe was chief craig back in the day he was into making shirts and printing stickers and stuff like this and so uh this is a, a little something that he threw together um and that everybody kind of enjoyed and just kind of was repping on their cars and all that. I would say uh, on your hydro flask, but that was way before that, huh? I, that might have even, have even been before like laptops and stuff, so. Maybe like our can like yeah, canteen so. maybe is what we had back then. Yeah, so it's a, it's, it's a little vestige of that connection to the ocean that we have here that, you know, even in something as silly as uh, being in your turnouts, you still got a little bit of the ocean in you too, you know? That's awesome, and that's also part of the culture, and that's kind of a really cool thing. I, I definitely intend to take many of these stickers back and, and my hydro flask, even though uh, I do represent the LE side, I'm going to be, uh, I'll be sporting your all stickers on my hydro <laughs> flask, and my kids will too from here on out. Um, definitely have tons of respect for you guys. So surfing competitions, like an intramural type of a deal, that sounds freaking awesome. Tell me about that. Did you ever compete in that? Either one of y'all ever compete in that? Uh, I have one, one time. It's funny, and it's just, you know, it's just camaraderie kind of thing, and, and they do it in, um, in conjunction with um, the other city departments, like, you know, the lifeguards will come and the, and the uh, police department, and although fire and um, police departments are much larger, the ocean safety guys always crush it. You know, That's like awesome. the lifeguards kill everybody. When <laughs> of it comes course. To yeah, of yeah. course. They they're yeah. spend their life in the water. Yeah. Did, you all did you guys grow up surfing? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, tell me about that. What, do you all remember your first surfboards? Oh, what was my, yeah, I remember my first board. Yeah. Did you a, keep a it? Bear. No, I don't have it anymore. But I, I think that, you know, surfing is one aspect of it, you know, being in the water. And there's many different modalities within surfing itself, right? So guys will grow up body surfing and bodyboarding and surfing. And now there's so many other things like foiling and so many other ways you can get into the ocean. And, and at the same time, you'll grow up, you know, so many dads or uncles have a boat and you grow up on the boat and diving and maybe sailing and so you know surfing is one element of being in or with the ocean but um, I think it's definitely something that lends to somebody being at different levels a water person or a waterman um, 
and you know that's kind of something that we really look for in personnel that are trying to jump into what what we do on the search and rescue side for the fire department um you know you can the old the old captains always would say i can teach you ropes and knots at the station on every shift but you know there's only certain days only so many days where i'm going to be able to have an interface with the ocean and so the more um, knowledge or skill or background that somebody brings to the job is the better you know for us you know a guy that can come in and feel secure in good sized shore break and have experience diving and know how to drive a boat that's like perfect for us you know yeah, because it encompasses skills. a lot of skills that we do and, and we don't have so many days to be able to give them instruction or that kind of just unconscious judgment of the water and that that in and of itself is a huge skill that's awesome i love hearing that i you know, I've, I've got friends that came out of a different uh different parts of, of the military service and they talk about where their units what they would look for in the background in hunting and fishing or familiarization with the water and growing up around the water but that just totally makes sense for what you guys are doing what was your what was your childhood like uh on your side, Blake, did you grow up surfing? Did you grow up playing sports? What was it? Uh, sports, sports like year round, just played everything. Um, I grew up body surfing was my main thing, so I was always in the water, um, and that's kind of what led me to water polo and just uh, a real appreciation for the ocean and everything else. But yeah, I think uh, like anybody here, um, just played sports growing up, took that into high school, and just uh, kind of that love for the ocean just kind of circled back when I got in the fire department kind of drew me to, to a search and rescue for sure that's awesome and and the um i guess the 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 equipment investment in body surfing is a little bit less expensive <laughs> than the I board got my fins, i'm good yeah that's good that's awesome man that's awesome so what yeah and and so one of the things that i learned along the way i had the opportunity to play a lot of baseball growing up and i was able to go on a on a trip it was almost like a mission trip going down to, to metsco to go teach some of the uh, little leaguers um, baseball down there and they had a, they have a great uh, little league down in Monterey Mexico as we were going in our tour bus down the streets or down the main streets of Monterey I noticed that there was a ton of kids playing soccer in the alleys and there was just they were all over the place and and our host I was asking so why do we have so many kids playing soccer versus baseball you guys are bringing this in to, to talk about baseball and he talked about it's easier for us to get one group of kids a whole group of kids with one ball and the equipment's minimum and they're all having fun they're all actually outside playing versus baseball where you had to have everybody has to have a glove and there's baseballs and there's bats and all that stuff that totally made sense it put things in totally different perspective for me so on the hawaiian side when you got it seems like everybody grows up in the water everybody grows up surfing do you guys have something in place to where you guys inherit somebody's board or pass that on to somebody else? And what do you guys do with that? So it just seems like, a, I don't know, because I've never surfed, but I would assume boards are fairly expensive. Yeah, especially nowadays. A yeah. surfboard is easily, you know, in the neighborhood of $1,000. Wow. Um, but I wouldn't, I mean, I guess there are some, you know, more formal programs. I'm not totally aware of them, but, you know, everybody's got a cousin or an uncle or somebody that's willing to pass them a board after it's got a couple dings and, and you pass it on down but you know in in hawaii it's we live in an island right and so I, I don't know what guys do in in landlocked mainland part you know parts of mainland are landlocked um but you, you, over here you go to the beach that's what we do instead of, you don't go to the park or the, you go to the beach right you know and, and you, you make it a family day often or if your family has a boat you go on the boat that's that's what you do um that that's the recreation and so you know the oftentimes the kids grow up with a lot of just 
comfort in the water and just gaining life experience unconsciously by getting into a sort of a hairy situation or pushing their boundaries a little bit. And so that's how they kind of build that up over time. Um, yeah, and it's, and it's easy. Anybody can go, like you said, to the beach and body surf and borrow the cousin's fins or uncle, let me try your board. And, um, but it's not so much like how they would do in Australia where they have those surf life-saving clubs and they right. groom these kids coming up, teaching them stuff like paddleboarding and rescue work and all of that. We don't have so much of that here, but you know, there are a lot of opportunities to get in the ocean. There's you know, canoe paddling clubs that a lot of families or kids will join. And, and there's a lot more just interface with the ocean on a daily that you don't really you know, calculate, but then by the time you're all grown up, you realize, oh, I, I spent a lot of time in the water. That's awesome. The, yeah. ca- the canoes are very interesting to me. I've watched programs on how they build the canoes and the distance that people traveled in canoes in, in, throughout history, I find that very interesting. So I like your reaction right off the bat. What's the longest distance y'all have ever gone in one of those canoes? Uh, well, and I've done, I've and was that on or off duty? <laughs> it's off duty for me, but it was, it was actually we, we paddled the Molokai Channel. I'll let uh, Kalei get more into that because he's a, a spokesperson for <laughs> outrigger paddling. But uh, it was actually with a fireman club. Like we got together. Um, just a bunch of firemen that wanted to compete and and uh, do the race. Um, it's, it's an endurance race. It's a, a fun one, but it was a real good show of uh, camaraderie. Like uh, we just would get together off duty, practice, uh, hang out after, like firemen typically do <laughs> with a cooler, and yeah, we'd uh, just trained up and did the race a couple of times. So it was, it was super fun. Yeah, that race he's talking about is about 41 miles. 41 miles. Wow. But it's a six-man canoe nine guys on the team and then you have an escort boat and you switch in personnel periodically so you'll do like a a 20 minute period and then maybe have like a 10 minute rest something like that okay cool yeah yeah. yeah. so 41 miles how long i'm assuming that with all that testosterone going we're going to be trying to push as fast as we can so yeah, how yeah. long does 41 miles take uh depends on your conditioning and and how good you are there's there's a you know another rabbit hole right we can go down with What's, what's harder to control on that, the, the conditioning or steering the boat when you have people that don't know what they're doing? Oh, yeah, you got to have a good steersman. Yeah. You got to have a good steersman. Um, but, yeah, conditioning is a lot of it, but you got to be able to work together, just like the firehouse. You know, yeah. like you can have big, strong guys, but if, if they don't know how to work together and they don't know what they're doing or they don't know how to use their equipment properly or don't have the right amount of experience, you'll see a bunch of little old guys with gray, gray mustaches smoke them at the fire scene, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just because of that yeah, experience and, and, and the time that they've put in. Um, you know, I've been involved in races in the neighborhood of 100 miles. And again, it's, it's, it's a conditioning obviously pays a, a big, big role in it as with any athletic event. Sure. But, um, you know, as with anything, once you dive into it, it's so many facets of it, you know? Like playing golf looks easy, right? Yeah, the guy gets a club, he swings it, he hits a ball, big deal. What's what's so hard about that? Yeah, and then you, know, go, you go out there it. and golf. You're like, yeah. good lord, this is it. This it is takes forever. Easy. I yeah. can't hit That's the ball straight. Golf. Yeah, Makes, yeah. A hundred mile race. What kind? Of, so I'm assuming that you take all your supplies with you, food and stuff like that, food and water. Yeah, that one was on a sailing canoe, but you're paddling and sailing, and that's about an eight hour race. Wow, that's a long no haul. changes on that one. Okay. Yeah, long haul. It sounds like fun. It it's is. it's you know I that's one of the things that we found so. 
growing up in the special operations community, we always had guys that were pushing each other, and that was the best. I thought that was the best because you always had. I was always around people that were better than me. At best, I would say I was a mediocre to lower mediocre uh, athlete, but I had so many guys that were so strong and, and so capable of doing anything. It's like you put them in the water, they can swim. You put them on a boat, they can they can paddle or they can steer. It's like these guys were just capable of doing anything. So it was, it was always something for me that they pulled me along. We would go out and do adventure races or marathons or whatever. It's like, hey, let's go do it. And of course, you know, it's like, well, of course we're going to go do it. You know, nobody's going to say no. But these kind of um, island activities are just awesome. I love hearing about it. Um, okay, so you have all kinds of, of water experience, and you guys came into the fire department. What was the what was the reasoning for you guys coming into the fire department? Like, did you did you guys have a history of that? Did you, your like family history on those? Uh, no, not for me in particular. Um, you know, my my backstory is just like Blake. Went to school here. Went to the same high school as Blake. Went away to college in the mainland because that's pretty much what you do when you go to that high school. Um, and then came back, you know, trying to figure it out as an early 20-something and was going to get um, my passport because I was going to Tahiti with my cousin. And his father was a fireman. And he's like, hey, let's go. I got to sign up for the fireman's test. And I was like, okay, I'll sign up too. What the heck, right? I mean, what's going to be so hard about that? We went to Tahiti, came back, took the, took the test, and I did well enough to get right into the fire department so it was never anything that was intentional but once I started exploring what it meant to be a firefighter even before getting in um, the more I talked to other guys that I knew that were, were firefighters and and it was like oh wow this is great you you work how many days you guys do what you know like and even though I was a college grad and I think historically people wouldn't you know that's a blue collar job you went you went away to a private college and you're going to come back and be a fireman that, that was a big joke right when we got in the firehouse was oh yeah but i went public school i didn't go to college and i got the same job as you your parents wasted all that money <laughs> right <laughs> um, i love it it paid off in the long run though yeah. you know as far as you know extra points on the promotional exam and stuff like that but i think it it really became more of a, a lifestyle thing the, the going to college was about of course an education but it was about jumping through expected hoops and now you're 20 something you're out of school all right bro what you gonna do with yourself make some what, life what are you gonna know. do it real real life you know and and so it was just I, I was so lucky to have been given that opportunity and how it's played out in my life and how it's enriched my experience um in so many ways I mean, what was being, the college i went to university of san diego okay cool yeah uh, so you guys talked about the high school, and I'm, I want to push into the fire stuff, but I, there's so many interesting parts of what you all did. You all talked about going to the same high school, and you all were looking at our poker chips, and I don't know if they actually show up on, on, uh, on the screen, but I'll hold it up, and maybe the guys can, maybe we'll get our, eh, it really doesn't show very well, but we have a new logo uh, for our program, and it's a, it's a flag, and, and we show all the different, the colors that represent all of the first responders, the fire guys, the police guys, the dispatchers, everybody, EMS guys. And in uh, our logo, we include the, the term one team. And you guys said that was part of your all's high school deal. Explain a little bit about your high school. What was, that, what was the school y'all went to? So we went to Iolani School. I went there uh, way after Kalei graduated. Many years, <laughs> many years. <laughs> but no, it's, uh, so that was, uh, Father Bray was like one of the founding football coaches for the school and his college you said father father bray and, and you know, it's a catholic school it's uh 
Episcopalian. Episcopalian. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, and so his model uh, for the team, all the teams, was Iolani One Team. And it's basically just exactly that. Everybody, no matter where they came from, uh, just worked together for the common goal. Um, and his wasn't a goal of winning. It was just one of sportsmanship, uh, good teamwork, camaraderie. That's Those are the things that really drove um, athletics, especially at our school. So, yeah, Iolani One Team was kind of a yelled out every game, every practice. So, wow, yeah. that's awesome. It kind of sounds like it, it melds straight into what you all do now. Is yeah, it, is for it, yeah. sure. You come, I, mean, I didn't play football for for Iolani, but you know, I know when the, when the guys come out of the locker room to get onto the field, it says one team above that walkway there, and everybody you know, touches that on their way out. And so um, you know, it does really transfer into what we do. There are, interestingly enough, quite a few guys that went to Iolani that are part of our, our rescue. So awesome. just to give you a picture, we have two rescue companies. Each company runs with five, is staffed with five. So that's only 30 individuals that are assigned to rescue out of a department of about 1,200. So we're a pretty tight-knit group. And we've come up through the ranks together. Um, and it's really that same concept. We are a small team within a bigger team. Um, but everybody tries to bring to the table what they can and pull their weight. Um, and so it really kind of gives that same feeling of one team. You know, and it's, it's a hard sell to the guys that went to the rival high school, right? <laughs> uh, we're not one team, like, or that. But, but, but really, I think, you know, when it's all broken down, we, we do try to approach it like that. You know, yeah. we, we try to be tight. We try to be, you know, communicative with each other and, hey, what's going on? You know, not only on a department level, but on a personal level. Yeah, like my, absolutely. My sister's husband is a rescue captain. It's like that. And we kind of all came up and, and grew up in the fire service together, um, as do the younger guys. You know, they're all taking all these hard classes together and Everybody they're the ones knows. that are going to inherit what the guys before them have built as as we have yeah you all know each other's families you all know each other's kids yes, everybody yes. you know you go to the you go to the parties you do all yes. that stuff yeah and and that's that's kind of the whole that's the brotherhood that we all talk about yes we all we all talk about that how thick are you guys with um athletes and military guys or people that come out of those services uh I, you know I, i'm gonna say that just with the fire service but especially search and rescue with what we do i, th I think we kind of draw those types of folks in a lot of like Colette you mentioned a lot of like real good watermen super like crazy good athletes guys that are way stronger faster um smart guys now you know because of all the training that we do um yeah they're just uh way better than we are for sure you know, which yeah. is good that's what, that's what the team is about i want guys that are bigger stronger faster smarter um than than me all the time i think i think that that is definitely true I, I think the one commonality that we find for the guys that stick around and make it are they have they have high drive right so whether like you said whether you are the most athletic or the smartest you can you can even the playing field by having a high drive and to do what we do i think takes um not I think, I know it takes an extra commitment, um, an extra level of commitment of time and, and all those stuff. And, and and so it's the guys with that drive that really rise to the occasion and, and, and are the ones that we really look for. 
Yeah, uh, and so I know that if um, if looks and strength would it were part of the skills that we were looking for, I never would have gotten into the special operations community. But one of the things that we looked for was good decision-making skills. And people, like you said, they, they were looking for the high drive. How were you when you were on patrol? Were you, were you out there actually being a cop? Were you actually out there talking to people, arresting people, investigating, doing what you had to do in your district? Um, and we changed the entrance program as as our as time went by. I spent ten years over there. And we spent the we changed the uh, entrance program to get into our team along the way, just because we saw a need for something you know a little bit uh, stiffer. What about you guys? Have you all changed the program uh, along? So you've been in you've been in the program for a long time. How long have you been in, in the rescue side? Uh, probably about the same. I got I wow. got onto rescue about five years in the department. I kind of just been in and around it. So you guys were actually operators on the rescue side before you were supervisors. Oh yeah, you, you cannot be a captain without having spent time on the rescue squad as a as a rescue specialist. That's awesome. Have you guys changed the entrance exams to, for the rescue side at all? Uh, entrance exam a, a little bit. So the way the process goes for um, a firefighter one, your ground level firefighter to get uh, onto rescue. One, they got to start training up with us. Um, we. We do an agility test, which is just like a swim, a tread, a hike, uh, rope climb, you know, just to make sure that they can, one, take care of themselves and, and do the job that, that we're tasked to do. And then they get in on the squads and kind of get vetted by the different captains. We have a set of minimum quals that uh, classes that they take uh, to kind of get vetted and by the program. And then it's a promotional process after that where they have to take a written exam, do another agility test. and an interview to hopefully get on what's the maintenance program like there are there this these points that you guys have to keep up or lose your spot on the team no you know i think uh like Colette mentioned i think the the good part about all the different rescue squads is it's very motivated folks so yeah. um there's nothing formal that that you have to upkeep but i think we self-check ourselves a lot um that's big that's real big yeah so you know i think uh as far as like Agility test, no, but we do an annual watermanship, uh, yeah. watermanship test, uh, and we're training all the time. So, a lot of checks and balances within the program. Mike, you spend a lot of time on the on the uh, LA Fire guys uh, with the, on the LA Fire Department. What was the the reputation of the uh, the rescue guys in your all's department? Well, e each group, the number of different groups, so to speak. There's the USAR guys, the Hazmat guys, you know, and uh, the arson guys, and and um, most of those, you know, like the people that are not part of that group, they kind of call them, what, prima donnas. They think those guys think they're the stuff. All right. That's in all organizations. Maybe <laughs> you have specialists, the Tim's yeah. guys, those guys. It's a special group, and they think they're special. Uh, in, in many cases, they are special. You know, they've, they've put in that, that extra amount of effort in getting with that, that group, and there's a certain amount of camaraderie that they have, and, and for that reason, it appeals to others who want to be a part of their organization. But um, those groups that require the additional training, the additional education, and so forth, you know, that's what I think uh, presents that drive to others, you know, to get out there, get the classes, to, uh, you know, get those other qualifications to become a part of either, you know, like I say, USAR, HAZMAT, you know, whatever that specialist uh, group is. But it's like that pretty much across the board. You know, uh, any specialist uh, group within a department, police, fire, um, you know, they, they have a reputation of being driven, you know, yeah. obviously those alpha dog type guys that uh, are, are known as such and, and for that reason perhaps it appeals to others that are like that yeah absolutely like that. yeah and, and it's always ended up being a real good group you know, the, the, the more driven the better so um, Blake before we started this we were talking about the uh, uptick 
and uh, the need for rescues that's going on right now out on the islands. So if you don't mind, kind of cover, I, I know that Kalai uh, mentioned, I get that one right, Kalai? <laughs> Uh, you mentioned that there's only two rescue teams for the whole island. Can you kind of cover how you split the island, where, where, where the lines are at, and kind of go into your all's duties? Sure. Uh, so there's two of us, Rescue 1 and Rescue 2, on shift every day. Um, we just split the island administratively pretty much in half is, is the way it works out. Um, the rescue program as a whole, we're just an, an, an all-hazards team because of – Geographically, where we are, we're an island in the middle of the Pacific, uh, and we know that help isn't on the way for a while if we need it. Uh, we don't have mutual aid counties next door or nearby. So we train a lot. We train a lot of different disciplines. We do technician level in confined space, high angle rope, trench rescue, uh, structural collapse. We do dive ops. We do rescue boat ops. So we're kind of jack of all trades for the city and county. Okay, great. So I, I think that's... Uh, I'm sorry to you know, yeah. interject there, but um, I think that's important to to emphasize the fact that it we there for for most of the types of calls that we go to, there's not really somebody else that's going to be able to come and get you if if it's not if it's not us. And so, you know that that's not to go back to that special ops thing, but that's that's a responsibility right. that we take seriously. Um, and so, in a lot of other jurisdictions, either some of that work would be done by a different department or you'd have a larger department that had only a heavy rescue truck or you know um guys that were specific to stuff where we have to kind of like kept lake was saying is have it's a real all hazards type of response and so it requires our crews to even though it's a 10 month 10 day a month uh assignment you're constantly training within those 10 days and trying to upkeep your skills um, through classes and, and trainings, larger trainings, you know, exercises and stuff like that. So it's, um, it's, it's a challenge. It, it definitely is a challenge to keep up with all of that. But I think, you know, like it is, we attract those type of high drive guys and, and they do a really good job and they take it personal. What's you know? the most common? Go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, I was just going to say, what do you do most of? I imagine hoist operations folks are up, hiking, they take on more than they can probably mm -hmm. handle. Yep. More of that or water rescue type stuff? I would say our bread and butter is um, mountain rescues, yeah. lost hikers, injured hikers. Um, so we do a lot of that. And, and that entails for our department, because we have our own air group here, um, it entails a lot of work with our helicopter. So we have um, MD500. Um, they're kind of smaller helicopters, but they're really nimble, and they're great for what we do. Um, but yeah, we do a ton of rope work. And the way that we do our rope work out of those helicopters, we don't do hoist operations like you would see at LA mm -hmm. County or places yeah. like that. Um, we do all rope work out of the back of the truck, out of the back of the um, helicopter, excuse me, um, which would entail like, you know, lowering or rappelling out of the helicopter and then doing short haul type operations to bring our, uh, our patients back to a remote landing zone area we use a lot of parks and whether it be along the shoreline or up in the mountains we use those as small landing zones that we operate our lz out of or our command post out of yeah yeah that's very physically intensive were you going to jump in there blake no, no. okay well, tell me so yeah th that's a great question mike and that's kind of where i wanted us to go with this so that seems to be the most frequent calls y'all yeah. go on and second to that would be ocean rescues missing surfers boaters oh. in distress those types of things so is there a most common place you guys go to for the uh, mountain rescues? 
I, you know, there, there are several trails that are kind of the most popularized ones. Right. Um, Cocoa Head, Stairs, Diamond Head. We recently had the shutdown of an, uh, a place we call Manawili Falls. It was just getting out of control with the amount of people and people parking in the neighborhood. And they had to shut it down because they're going to um, reroute and reconstruct the parking lot and stuff like that. So there are several trails like that. And there are also several um, lesser known trails that we have to take care of and, and service service those um, individuals that get in trouble there. So we definitely have our frequent flyer trails, you would you might be able to say, but really it's anywhere in the island. And although we have our island split between the two rescue companies, let's say Blake's crew is called out on a job, now I have the whole island. All right. And so I can go there. So our familiarity or our response area really is the entire island. Um, yeah, and, and, and three miles offshore. You, you talked about uh, Cocoa Head and, and Diamond Head, and those are, is there? Yes. Yeah, Diamond Head. Those two are very popular places. I mean, anybody that's coming to the islands is going to get on YouTube and find some cool hikes to go on, and that's what I do. It's like wherever I'm going, I look for some good hikes, and those did not seem like they were the most challenging. Obviously, Cocoa Head's very steep. There's a lot to it, but do you find that the, the actual physical challenge is more or the fact that there's so many people at these places? What, what creates a bigger problem? I think the the bigger problem really and like you said those hikes really aren't that taxing but when the wrong type of folks who are not in shape or aren't geared up to go and do those types of things those are the ones that end up having difficulty breathings at the top or chest pains at the top or you know so I think it's a a bit of a mix you know I think guys sometimes get in over their head getting uh, deeper than probably what they're they should be kind of out of their comfort level and that'll kind of drive uh, them to call 911 and, and get us going. So real quick, so is there anything in place that um, where you guys, the, the, the rescue guys, you guys are out there performing the rescues. Do you guys ever go out on the weekends and go hike these trails or go find these trails and go see what there is out there or what's going to create problems or challenges for the general public? Yeah, I think I think we do. We um, On duty, we'll pre-plan trails and and everything uh, as well as I'm sure all of us will go we go off duty on our own time with our crews or on our own I take my family and we'll just go and go and pre-plan and take a look at places yeah Mike no just a you mentioned three miles offshore for water rescue boats in distress and such Coast Guard also works with you is that what you have Coast Guard and Ocean Safety um, Ocean Safety you know we actually were down at the Coast Guard uh, station here at Mm -hmm. Barbers Point yesterday just kind of having a meet and greet with them they have a fairly frequent turnover of personnel you know yeah. i've been in the same department for 25 years and those guys are just coming on this station really? maybe for the first time and so mm-hmm. it's every jurisdiction for them i'm sure is a little bit different and here of course is, is no exception to that um so we do work with them um and we we're just talking to them about our mode of operation which can be really different from what they see in other places um and then of course we work very um very closely with our ocean safety division mm-hmm. and this is where they pioneered um, using uh, rescue watercraft or jet skis to yeah. do rescues, um, and those those guys are incredible. I mean, big ups to them. They they, they are really groundbreaking on what they do, and because our ocean conditions can be really a- adverse, we're known for big waves in Hawaii. But that's not it. You know, there's yeah. a lot of a wind swells and and currents. It can be our coastlines can be treacherous if you don't know where to be and 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 how to be in that place. You know. Well. And the reason why I bring that up is because with most other agencies that obviously, you know, port departments or, you know, uh, that 
have maritime type operations, they don't have the kind of expertise or experience that, that you would have, obviously right. being here on island. So the right. Coast Guard folks would tend to be the more experienced and the better at handling, you know, water rescue boats in distress or, you know, other kinds of situations requiring, you know, maritime operations. Mm -hmm. Here it probably would be different where your folks would perhaps be is this accurate more skilled because your career professionals dealing with water issues or you know they're, they're also career professionals dealing with water issues but i think yeah. what i see plays a part in it is um a lot of that local knowledge going back to yeah, that's kind of what I mean. you know knowing the area knowing where the currents are okay right. the tide is rising how much is it rising by in this area yeah. current's going to push that way let's go look over there mm -hmm. and we work a lot in conjunction with our ocean safety because of the knowledge that gotcha. they have and and although each one of the agencies, that being ocean safety and fire rescue and Coast Guard, we each doing things a little bit differently. But man, when yeah. when we can be communicating well with each other, um, and everybody brings in their slightly different um, capabilities, it can be really effective. And I think we can deliver a really good pro pro product altogether for the community. Um, but I think it's important for listeners maybe to understand that. In the course of a day, we can have a scuba or a boat rescue, then I'll do a mountain rescue, and then we might be called out to a confined space. And there's very few crews across the nation that are responsible for that variety. You know, you'll see us ro rolling down the road with our fire truck and a 22-foot boat attached to it that we take everywhere with us. And then we're gonna go meet up with a helicopter and work in conjunction with all of that and maybe ocean safety and, and nice. Coast Guard as well. So. It's the, the spectrum of um, things that we can get involved with on a daily basis and need to be prepared for is, is pretty wide. And, yep. and, and frankly, people might think, oh, you're overtasked. How can you, how can you do all that? But I think it all goes back to, man, man, we love that. That's why we got involved in this. Nice. Because, you know, I grew up here hiking and hunting with friends, but we were also surfing and diving. and. And the rope work stuff is incredibly interesting. That leads you to the con space and the trench. And it's all, and they all really play into each other, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's fun for us. And, and we really thrive on it, I think. And this, honestly, this guy probably more than anyone, you know? Mm -hmm. This is, this is the Always guy, looking so. for a new challenge. Yeah, I get, you know, I get that. <laughs> so I, so I, I was telling you that um, when we go, when we're fixing to go somewhere, all the, like the general public will look at YouTube or will just Google something. Hey, I want to go do some trails in, in Oahu. Is there a recommended side or do you guys have a program to like, I was asking you all about like where y'all, like y'all might go do a trail yourself. Have you guys ever considered popping up your own videos up there to say, hey, this is the, the Honolulu Fire Department. This is the things that we're seeing on the trails or do y'all do any updates like that? Or do you have a recommended site for us to take a look at before we pop on some trails? Uh, I think from a department standpoint, I don't think we've ever put out anything uh, formally uh, as far as like trails, but I know that they're, they're kicking out, out a lot of just hiking safety, a lot of safety tips out to the general public. Um, and it's, I think it's something that it's definitely a gap that, uh, that needs to be, needs to be filled for sure. Sure. So what's that? Uh, go ahead. <laughs> I, I think, I think um, in this, this whole gig, I think can be brought back to people are really good at making poor decisions and overestimating themselves and underestimating conditions and I think you know you can find that across any jurisdiction whether you're police or fire or whatever yeah. that's how people get in trouble and that's 
really what we're there for, right? You know, when something is out of your control, that's when you call 911. And, and, and people can come from other places and not understand how quickly um, it can get dark or how unprepared they are. Or, and, and a lot of it is the mindset of being on, on vacation. I'm here to maximize the most out of every day. And, you know, uh, it says it's get dark in two hours, but uh, that's okay. Let's, let's go do it. And all of a sudden, they find themselves dark, and they didn't bring a flashlight or water or so-and-so twisted their ankle, and they're an hour in on a trail. And what are they going to do but call 911? And so we, we have a lot of that. And, and frankly, you know, the, the public education outreach that I've seen, um, you know, the Hawaii Visitors Bureau is trying to do stuff uh, oftentimes hotels will put it on their hotel TVs and stuff like that um, but honestly if you're a tourist you're, you're you don't want to listen to that it's like yeah 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 get me a Mai Tai and what adventure are we going to go on today yeah and absolutely. where am I going to get my selfie oh there's a waterfall over here that's where I want to be no clue for what the weather is doing or you know or flash floods or whether it's getting dark or what your capabilities are oh you know what i didn't bring my hiking boots that's okay i'll just go in my flip-flops you know what i mean and that's how it. you land up getting a, a buckled knee or a sprained ankle or people overestimating themselves and and so i i, I don't know I, I don't know what the the solution is to less rescues or does it even really matter to the point of whether they're a resident or a visitor, when they call 911 and say that they need help, my responsibility isn't to question, well, how did you get into this problem? What, what decision did you make? Right. We're going, and we're yeah. gonna deliver the service that we're trained and prepared to deliver. That's our job. True professionals. And, and, yeah. and, it, and whether or not they're gonna listen to warnings or be better at estimating themselves or having situational awareness of the weather around them, you know that that's I, I don't see I haven't seen it be successful any agency or you know government program at, at making people better at that in yeah, fact that, I, w- yeah. I would say arguably we're getting worse at it because we have although there's so much more information out nowadays you know I, I, it's way easier for me to just get saved or I can get in trouble and ah, what the heck no yeah, problem. that's understandable you know, it's people pretty good taking responsibility good perspective on like that. how they did when we were growing up right I, you know growing up as a local kid you know you ain't calling for help, man. Figure Unless it it's out. really, really bad. Yeah. We get people three minutes from the trailhead calling for help because they're a little lost and it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Well, I'll keep hiking until you find your way out. You know, I mean, that, that, that's that's what I would tell my kid. Like but, that. you know, maybe that's not the environment that yeah, is, absolutely. is out there, you know, or, or maybe these people are coming from a urban setting and they're not used to this kind of thing. And we can go down that rabbit hole, but. I'll be thinking I'm using that term too much today, <laughs> but um, but really, when that alarm goes off, we're going, and up to a certain extent, you know, we we thrive on that. That's why we're there. And and, I mean? and you guys are the ones we want there, obviously. All right, so you guys have um, have this forum to to talk to people right now. What are if I'm going to prep my backpack or my go bag for the day, and we're going to go out and hit some trails? I'm going to go hit two or three different trails today. What are the top five things you recommend people packing with them? <laughs> top five things. Put on the spot. And, and, I know, and I know that for, <laughs> for the most part, for the most part, you guys would say it's common sense, but maybe not everybody thinks that way. How about you Yeah, push it out to <laughs> it's us? It's uncommon. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
uh, water, a cell phone, uh, general idea of where you're going. Uh, I'm not sure what else. Uh, I think dope. a cell phone is important. And I think just within the cell phone, you can say, okay, what apps do you have on your cell phone? Um, yeah. You know, uh, do you have an app that's going to drop a breadcrumb trail for you so that you can find your way out? Do you have, uh, you know, have you paid your bill or have a good service where you're going to get service should something happen to you? Um, you know, do you know how to find on your iPhone the compass feature that if you scroll, if you swipe to the left it, or at the bottom of it, it's going to give you your coordinates, right? So I think, you know, to answer your question, like, like Cap Lake said, it's, it's, it's water. It's a, a working cell phone with a charged battery and yep. maybe an extra battery charger pack that you can take with you because you forgot about all the apps that you had running in the background when you went and you, oh, you know, I didn't have a chance to really charge it last night. And I've got a video of myself the whole time. Exactly, yeah. right? So, you know, they're, they're ready to have all of their, their Instagram profile up and ready to go yes. in, but they didn't take all these other precautions and maybe they're just not aware of it. Um, you know, your cell phone can be a flashlight, but it kills the battery pretty quickly. Yep. So if you have an extra pack that helps out a lot, you know, water, um, for a lot of our, our visitors, it's sunscreen, you know, um, proper footwear, um, a long sleeve dry fit shirt to keep you cool and from getting sunburned. Um, let somebody know where you're going, when you're going, when you expect to be out, a lot of those kind of things. Yeah. I, I think the those cell are phone, common sense for some yeah, people. Yeah. The, the cell phone has changed not only um, the ability for people to request help, but I think it's changed recently our game and how we approach what we do in the last several years. And, I think Blake's a really good guy to talk about that, about how we're using um, the chip in a caller's cell phone to help us get them help. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think when, uh, when Clay and I first got on the squad, we didn't have cell phones that would give you your GPS lat long, and it was a lot of just local knowledge, pre-planning a trail, trying to figure out like, hey, okay, I, I passed this bench, I took a split, I'm in the bamboo, and we would have to kind of piece it together and kind of find these guys needed in a haystack um, but it took a lot of pre-planning and local knowledge to do that and now with a cell phone it kind of takes that out of play a bit when they call 911 we get from our fire dispatch and they're great at it they give us a GPS that long and we can basically as a crow flies get right to them especially with our helicopter uh, if it's a ground op we'll, we can plant them if they're on or off trail um, and that really has changed the game for us as far as uh, efficiency and safety as well for now we're not doing a few hour search to find this person it can it can be as quick as meeting up with the helicopter at the LZ and getting right to them so yeah I think that the like Clay mentioned the cell phone and the capability of it has really changed the game for us at least for uh, yeah that we do business the technology the advancements in technology have helped all of us Mike yeah, I don't know if you're going here, Eddie, but just wondering for each of you, not sure how long you've been with the, uh, you know, your, your rescue squads, but most gratifying or most memorable rescue or incident you've, you've been involved in. Just wonder if each of you can kind of comment briefly on that. I don't know. So Memory's maybe. shot already. <laughs> <laughs> what stands out? Big one. Uh, I think, you know, there's definitely been, been harrowing ones or you have that person that, runs into you at Home Depot and he's like, I know you don't remember me, but you brought me out of the mountain one night and this and that. And, and so that, that's pretty cool and gratifying. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, 
several I'm, I'm a little bit at a miss right now but one that always affects me even before I had my own kids was that are involved with with kids and um, you know even as a firefighter having to render aid to a young child that is hurt bad or something like that is matters a lot to me um, I remember one where this uh, couple of moms took their kids hiking and same thing they under underestimated um, or over uh, overestimated themselves and underestimated time and they were now stuck in the mountains with their kids a couple of them pretty young like four years old three four years old and it started to rain on them and it's nighttime and so when once it's raining we can't go in with the bird now of course it's the tropics we're 21 degrees north it's not like freezing Texas rain or you know how it can get cold in parts of the state so that's one thing we have going for us but um, just we had to trudge in there and it took us about an hour to get to where they were and they were all okay of course nobody was hurt and you know look at these little kids and they're kind of a little bit scared and the mom is a little bit you know panicking and but it's like okay come on you and I, we just put the little ones on our backs and we carried them out wow. you know and that was you know an hour hike and at the time you know even now it's, it's, that's not such a big deal you should be easy to do that throw 40 pounds on your back and walk out for an hour that, that that's that's every day but it just it was cool for me and one of the ones I remember just because we turned what was a bad situation and we kind of tried to make it fun for them and set them at ease and, and how they kind of just appreciated what it what it was um, but that's you know that's not a a harrowing story of uh, you know a life or death situation but I think it speaks to the heart of what we do every time is somebody's in trouble somebody's call, they, nobody wants to call 911 right it, it, it's you're, you're, you're a state of vulnerability and being able to go in there and make a situation better for somebody and they come out of it feeling positive I think at its heart that's why for many of us, we get into the fire service. You know? Yeah, and you and you call it. You, you say that it's not a, a life and death situation because they had their ability to call you and ask for help. Yeah, of course it wasn't. And it could have easily turned something. It could have really turned bad for them. But it takes the mindset of what you guys are recruiting into the service, uh, into into your rescue squad, to be able to do that because nobody else would be able to to in that situation turn it into a game for the kids. And that's what you all did. You all saved their lives, but you all made it a, a, a good thing, a learning experience for them. And, and that's perfect because it, it attaches to what we were talking about, having, having a good go back, having a good prep for going out on trails. And we're talking about that. And it's a great rescue story. But you're talking about the moms taking their kids out there. Emily, as a mom, you have a couple of kids that are you know fairly young kids. Is there anything special that you would want to ask these guys um, maybe to pass on to your boys? Uh, questions that you know stuff you can prep them with um i mean off the top of my head only just listening to y'all i mean thinking about um um the the what what we would think is common sense you know it's not really or what y'all would think is common sense is uh, what we, you that's know. that's exactly what i was thinking if if you could teach your kids anything and it takes years and uh, there's plenty of adults that don't have it it it's it's common sense, but more more specifically, I think it's it's situational awareness. Being able to, and it's how hard is that nowadays when you have a supercomputer in your hand that 
you know, often you see kids crossing the street looking like this and not even sure paying oh, attention. That's my, that's oh, but, my I, but I'm in a but I'm in a, a crosswalk that does a crosswalk is not a, a barrier that's going to stop a car, you know. And just being able to teach them situational awareness, I think the ocean is probably the best instructor of situational awareness. To be good in the ocean, you have to be able to constantly being aware of factors that are influencing you and calculating how all of that's working together, you know, to impact your safety or the completion of whatever you're trying to do, whether it's catch a wave, catch a fish, drive this boat in here. And so I think situational, situational awareness is huge. And in law enforcement, fire service, I think that is one of the most important skills you can have, um, but in life for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what do you think, Kelly. Oh, yeah, I agree so completely, 100%. Yeah, so common sense, right? Prepping for it, working as a team. We hit on a lot of good things. So one of the things you did not touch on with the go bag is first aid kits. So what are you guys doing on the fire side? Um, do you guys have anything in place for public education as far as first aid is concerned? And what would you guys recommend that we tell the general public to pack in their first aid kits when they hit the trail? <laughs> um, you know, we do get um, people that are injured quite a bit. We get, you know, like you said, lost or just disoriented or not feeling good. We, I don't know how much I would recommend as far as a first aid kit and people taking that on themselves. A lot of the hiking you're doing here in Hawaii is not like a multi-day trek where you're camping overnight and stuff where places like maybe Colorado or Texas, you have these huge areas where you can go for miles and miles right. and miles. A lot of the hiking in Hawaii are day hikes, you know, s several hours at the most, you know, you'll hike for three hours and, and then return on another three hours. So it's something, if you start early enough, you could, you could be able to accomplish. But I think um, hydration, especially with how hot and humid it can be here is tremendously underrated. Um, you know, they have those little hydration packs you can add into your water. Taking enough water is going to help you a lot to accomplishing um, whatever, if, if it's a more strenuous hike. And so I you, you talk about the hydration packs. You're talking about like electrolytes that you can add yes. on into your Yeah. And that kind of multiplies the effect of the impact of the water you're taking. For sure. So if you can only take a certain amount of water with you, those packs may help you out. Big time. Okay, Big cool. time. Um, what about actual, like the... the the small first aid stuff that because as you know as a dad i always had tons of band-aids and the ointments and, and a little bit of everything and of course as a cop i have tourniquets because you never know when somebody needs a tourniquet right? right what would you put would you put in your in your go bag uh you know that's a tough question i think it's just it's just going to depend on the person right they're gonna have to be pretty self-aware that if something goes down they'll be they should be able to take care of themselves i think that's kind of what goes back to like how you try and raise your kids that's kind of my goal with my kids is be able to take care of yourself be self-sufficient so as far as like the first aid kit stuff goes um well they'd have to know how to use it whatever gotcha. it is that they bring right like get out there and take a look at it practice what it is but slings are good uh, we use a lot of sam splints they're just like hard splints yeah. that we can uh, wrap up injured ankles or fractured arms and things like that um you know your, your basic band-aids and, and everything else would be good you're just just something enough to be able to package up and make your way out off trail if, if you have it cool what go ahead no what, what seems to be a kind of a, a more 
you know, because our hikes are shorter, what seems to be a more common use for the, um, the first aid kits is what people take on their boats. That's kind of always a really important one here too. We, right. you know, we have jellyfish that you gotta be aware of and, and none here that are like lethal, but they can really ruin your day. And if you have like a, a spray of stingies or some way to mitigate that is great. You know, a boat with a prop and a lot of line, man, you could, you can get somebody severely cut. So having a tourniquet is, is a yeah. great small item that won't take up a lot of space that you can have in your boat first aid kit. Um, you know, people are at the beach and diving in and having fun. Where I live, um, there's a sandbar nearby and everybody takes their boats there. And periodically, guys will have too many beverages and they'll break their neck, you know? And having a sea collar there, it'd be a great one just to start some type of SMR right away. Right. Um, and that's, again, a small, lightweight piece of equipment. I think people can get really um, overboard. I got this great first aid kit and you know it's in this big pelican case and all that stuff and it's like well do you know how to use everything in there right because putting on a tourniquet although it can be fairly straightforward and easy if you've never done it before you can do it wrong Absolutely. right yeah um and when's the last time you checked it one, one of the thing we don't have going for us here as far as the humidity in the air is that stuff like that deteriorates so quickly especially in the marine environment Right? When's the last time you checked? You know, look at my first aid kit and somebody's hurt and you bust it out and nothing works in there. It's all deteriorated, right? Yeah. So there's that too, you know. So that all takes maintenance and knowledge and again, awareness. Right? So what's the coolest training uh, evolution you guys have been a part of? Where have you all gone for the cool training or what, what training class do you all stands out for you guys? Well, I mean, so we're on an island. So we try and bring in as much as we can just so that uh, more of the, the gang can, can take part we do a lot on our own, um, so I've paid out of my own pocket, my own time. I've gone up to LA County uh, for a few different things, for like swift water, uh, rescue boat ops, marine firefighting ops, um, things like that. I went up to Colorado, I did a high angle rope class up there, all kind of on my own dime. But just, just again, just to kind of like better myself and bring something back to my crew and to the program. We've, we've got a lot of cooperation from um, other entities here locally. Um, we have done some really cool trainings recently at the an abandoned portion of our refinery here on island, which is awesome doing highline stuff there. We've done really great highline exercises and, and trainings at our stadium where we're sending guys across on a highline. Um, just this month, wow. they shut down part of the H3. It's an elevated freeway on the windward side. Um, and we went in there and did a drill where we, we staged because if somebody jumps off the freeway, they're, they're gonna land on terra firma for the most part, right? And at that point, you're, you're doing your rope work more for just patient access and you don't necessarily, it might be easier to come from the bottom to do the body recovery. But we did a drill where, hey, this guy jumped off and got stuck in a tree. So now how are you gonna do it? And that was pretty fun and we, we employed some tactics using um, a high point um, off the side of our truck with an Arizona Vortex and did a litter scoop down there with, um, we just used a Jose, we call him the, the hose dummy yeah. um, down there and, and sent our guys down to do that and use our boat trailer as the anchor point for our haul field, um, stuff like that. So 
that was, that was using, a great using technical terms. So remember, we're, we got the general <laughs> public listening to you. We've got an Arizona Vortex. and, and Arizona all. Vortex is basically like a tripod. Yeah. And we have a ability with a something that um, one of the guys that, that has come from the mainland to train with us, he kind of came up with this thing. He calls the Chingadera. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's <laughs> we have a, 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 a hitch receiver off the side <laughs> of the truck. And you can stick that into it. And one leg of the tripod can be attached there. So now... You have a high point for over the edge work yep. that is secured with a hard leg to the side of the truck. So you have compression and tension to support that tripod and having a high point when you're coming over the edge as far as retrieving um, a rescuer with a litter, like a, a Stokes basket up and over the edge, a high point is can make all the difference in the world as opposed to just trying to scoot over that edge makes and it is that fun. where the Arizona vortex can you kind of explain what the Arizona vortex does for you mechanically or what that does for you guys on the rescue side so an Arizona vortex is they like to call it a multi-pod yep. but it's basically a tripod that can be um, through its engineering is designed by a company called rock exotica and they um, it, it can be used in a whole bunch of different configurations from a single leg to a tripod over um, an open manhole in a confined space type um, incident. So we train that and use that. And one way we're using it is for over the edge type, you know, like say somebody went off the edge of a roadway um, for recovery or for, you know, rescue off the side of that. And so that's how we used it in this incident. And yeah. so it just basically creates a high point for the rope to go through. And once that rope is through a high point, it makes all the rope work um, exponentially easier especially when it comes to patient care and what the rescuer has to do on his side navigating that edge in particular coming back up and and, and geometry and the actual uh, dynamics of what the, the tool itself is well that you know that leaves a lot to it but do you find that creativity is a is a part of what you guys are doing yeah so something like the vortex is a perfect example where it's it's not a one-trick pony you know you can use it in all types of different uh areas of tech rescue so you know yeah like Kalei mentioned, we'll use it at confined spaces. We could use it at a trench. We'll use it for elevator rescue. You know, something that we can take off the truck and we can use it for multiple things. And, and exactly what you're saying is just be creative based off of the training and experience and everything else so that you can just make it happen, which is a, a big thing of uh, the guys that we try and get or that are on the squads. They, they can really make it happen. Problem solvers, creative um, and it's, it's a real big thing uh, for rescue, for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. actually, Mike? No, no, we're good. I'm just enjoying this <laughs> Okay. Good stuff. So, and, and, and really, that's something that can be multi-purpose for us is always important. You know, on one side of our truck, we're going to have a rope cabinet. And, and next to that is a cabinet that's full of Paratech struts and, and lifting gear. And the other side, we're going to have airbags and all kind of hand tools to be able to build, you know, shoring for a, a building collapse. And next to that is a cabinet with underwater dive propulsion, you know, with, and then next to that is our Billy Pew basket that we use to rescue people out of the water. And so um, these, these guys in our trucks have to be able to be proficient in all yeah. of those. And the more, the more ways they can use the same piece of equipment to be effective in different things, that's less equipment that they have to be responsible for the knowledge of, right? You know, you're yeah. talking capabilities, care and maintenance, how does it work? you know, capacities, all that. They have to know that stuff at a drop of a dime, right? And it can't be just one guy that knows it. Everybody has to be proficient in all of Everybody. it. Everybody. But at the same time, I think I always stress to my guys, 
nobody's an island, right? This is being a fireman is a team sport. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, although I'm the captain and maybe I have the final decision on what our tactics are going to be, you know, a lot of times the guys on my crew, they're, they're, could be more skilled in a certain genre than I am, or they have a lot to uh, to do as far as input. And so, is that even possible that somebody's more skilled than you? Uh, of course, <laughs> of course. I got some. I got some really Blake, solid. Blake, guys. you have any? You have I, any? Got, I got some really solid. Maybe not Blake. Well, with no comment. <laughs> <laughs> but I got some really solid guys on my crew. So I, I think, yeah, I I rely on them for that. And that, and that's what you want. You want the guys that you know, work with you to be better than you. For sure. For sure. Do you guys now? I know with Honolulu PD, they have some situations where they would support, say, the other islands in a specific situation. Do you guys have any provision where you fly out and support, say, uh, you know, a complex trench rescue situation where you'd go to other islands and support those agencies elsewhere off of Oahu? Uh, well, years back, years back, we had actually had a state USAR team, mm -hmm. which was made up of all the different counties. We had rescue personnel from um, all the different islands and. When that was together, there was a big uh, dam break where there's a, a wide area search. They actually sent a handful of us over to assist with that and body recovery. Uh, that thing has since disbanded. Our state user team is, is no longer. Uh, we have stood up resources for hurricane events and tsunami events locally here, just within like the USAR world, but we yes. haven't deployed. Uh, the need wasn't there, but uh, yeah, we're ready for sure. We, have, we got the we got the manpower, we got the equipment, um, and I think it's something that just needs to be worked out between the different counties. So do each of those other counties have their own USAR rescue squads? Well, I, every county has rescue squads. Gotcha. Um, and they train, for the most part, um, the same stuff that we do yeah. because, you know, just the geographics of being on an island. Like I said, you got to be able to kind of handle whatever comes your way for at least the short term, mm -hmm. right? You know, if we get a large-scale natural disaster here, it's going to be, I'm, th I'm going to throw out 48 hours before we get a USAR team from the mainland. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know exactly, maybe quicker or whatever, but we're going to have to exist on our own for a while. Um, and so to have the training and equipment to do so, um, you know, is important. Now, our department, because the population base for the state is mostly on this island, our department is much larger than any of the other counties, although they're square miles might be much larger than ours gotcha. um and if anybody has the manpower or the equipment to be able to go to another county and render aid it would be it would be us helping them unfortunately the type of natural disaster that we might get although could be focused more on one island than another if we get a tsunami it's going to mostly if it could affect several islands we get a hurricane it could affect several islands and so you know it, it does take a certain amount of um, preparedness and resourcefulness but yeah. So what's the most remote place that you guys have had to perform a rescue? Any trail or waterfall or cove in, in, off an island? Is there any, can you, anything that stands out? Uh, nothing stands out in particular. You'd be amazed at where people can get to uh, <laughs> up in the mountains. It's, it's, uh, you get there, you get overhead with a helicopter, and it's like, how did you get to this spot? You know, like there, there may be no established trail. They may be down a, a hidden valley where they're at a summit. They drop down to these valleys where they're just sheer faces after that. And it's like, it's kind of blows your mind. I don't know if, uh, if Clay has anything different, but it's, it's pretty amazing where people end up sometimes. Yeah. As far as remote as, you know, if you're talking distance from a populated area, the island's 
kind of small. And so we can get pretty much anywhere in the island fairly quickly with our helicopter. But, yeah. um, you know, several miles out to sea, picking up uh, an injured boater or, uh, you know, a, a diver that is has passed out there, stuff, stuff like that. You know, it's, that's far as remote. But in the sense that somebody from the mainland would would define remote as being just miles and miles and miles away, we, we don't have sure, so much there's only of so that. Much distance. Yeah, yeah. But we have some pretty you know rugged areas even on this most populated island like wow like 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 cap said it's like how how did you even get over here like yeah. how, do, how are you still alive getting to where you are you know guys sliding down the side of a mountain and he held on to a tree all night until we could come and get him and that's one of the things like we talked about earlier temperature we if if conditions are really bad yeah. and somebody's stuck on the top of a mountain you know i, I guarantee they're not going to get frostbite so you're gonna, we're gonna come get you at first light. You're gonna have to spend the night, and, and yeah. maybe that's one of the hardest lessons for them to start working on their situational awareness. Is it okay? Yeah. So if there's a trip, I'm coming to Honolulu, or I'm coming to Oahu for my first time ever, and I'm getting on on the YouTube or, or wherever researching trails. Is there a trail or a place that you would recommend that I stay away from if I'm not if if I'm still a beginner? Is there one of those places out there that stands out to you guys that you would just say, hey, stay away from this one? Got anything? I'm not sure. I, you know, there's, like, like we, I think we talked about, a lot of times it's just a matter of understanding your capability, right? Sure. You're coming over to have your fun, get out, get out into the, the, the island, see everything. But I think Diamond Head, which is paved for, for much, much of the trail, can be over some people's heads. So right. It's kind of a, a tough question, really. The problem with that is in today's world, the moment I mention something, that's the one they want to go and do. <laughs> yeah. that's right? true. I think that's what we're trying to do. Fair we're enough. That. Fair I, enough. I, I, would, I would educate people that there's a, there's a hike that there was pretty popular for us, and, and a lot of guys were getting in trouble on it, and it's, it's a fairly arduous hike. Um, it's called the Stairway to Heaven, and and uh, and that actually has died down for us a little bit because finally our Department of Land and Natural Resources started ticketing people because it's illegal. It's it's in a off limits area. You're not supposed to be on it. Right. So it's a it's a stair it's a stairway straight up the side of a mountain for about an hour and then you can hike out the other side. It's another couple hours a long gradual hike out a, a valley wow. or a ridge line. And it's it's a beautiful vista up there and that's what people are looking for, right? They want to get their their shot underneath the waterfall <laughs> or or here's me and look at the, the beautiful bay in the background or whatever and, and I get it you know that's that's the world we live in it's all about how many likes you can get and yeah um, whether I, whether I like that or not is is a whole nother thing but I think um, you know they just have to realize that you know take a step back okay do I really is this really worth it for me because we've had you know several calls um, that we we deem them death by selfie. You know, people going to the edge and like this and like this and then, and and unfortunately those people have hurt themselves real, real bad and some of them have passed. Wow, that's that's the first time I've heard that uh, that term death by selfie, but I've heard those stories all over the place. It, it makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna use that, I'm gonna steal that from you guys. <laughs> sure, sure. Hey, maybe Chief Craig can make a t-shirt out of that or something <laughs> like that. But that's, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, have you guys, written down your stories and written down the the rescues that you guys have done taking notes 
Is there somebody in your all's history when you guys first came onto the squad that was like the Jedi Knight of rescues that you guys learned from? Pick one. Go Come ahead. on. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's kind of like what uh, Kalei mentioned earlier. I think uh, the guys that came before us really paved the way uh, for us today. Um, so, yeah, we've had just some, I mean, legend rescue guys, captains down to the firefighter to the specialist level, you know, just solid guys, knew the island, um, get it done no matter what. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yet. God, you, if, I, if I'm going to throw a name, you got to throw at least one name. <laughs> Go first. <laughs> Malcolm, you got to throw one first. <laughs> I, I, I remember um, being a young kid involved in paddling, and we were at paddling practice, and there's this little jetty next to the boat ramp. Um, and we were practicing in there, and and we're coming back from a run, and there was this guy standing on the edge on the end of that jetty, in surf shorts, no shirt. Those old school, um, the, some of the original polarized sunglasses, mm-hmm. kind of curly pepper gray hair, and he was just shredded. That <laughs> was like top shape Hawaiian man, just like, just had that look of like steel, you know, like just like who is. And I was just like, who is that guy? And, and my friend was like, oh, that's Nalu's dad. That was our friend's father. And turned out he was a rescue captain. He was a Vietnam veteran, one of those guys that he was one of the best. You asked about canoe steersmen. Yeah. He was one of the best ever. Wow. Um, and his son, Nalu, was our friend, a couple years older than me. So now this guy's name was Kalaku Kea. And his father, Joe Kukea, was one of the first rescue captains. He was a rescue captain. His son, Nalu, is also a rescue captain now. Wow. Yeah. So he's the only one that I know of that is a third-generation rescue captain. And Nalu's just like him. So, um, unbelievably competent in the water. I mean, just he's so good. He's a really low-key kind of guy. Um, and he was my captain for a little while. Um, but... Just the amount of knowledge that a guy like Nalu and, of course, Kala bring to the table generationally. I mean, that's what they did growing up. They, they're in the ocean. They're doing all these things. And, and to me, uh, that's kind of one of the reasons. Like, what does that guy do? Oh, he's a rescue captain. And I was 16, 15, 16 at the time. Oh, that's what that I That stands out? That, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, there's, and that was kind of like the old timers like that. They were just like legends. Yeah. You know, like, like they did stuff that was like, they would go to remember the time they went to Kauai and did that body retrieval and they rappelled down the side of this steep cliff in this you're talking about um, out of the way you know middle of nowhere kind of place and they slept overnight with the body because they there was too late already and then they worked their way up over time those guys wow. Snooky Pie guys like that um, and that was kind of that generation before those guys were just the training wasn't as you know organized as it is nowadays these were just badass guys you know that became firemen and got on rescue because they were the guys that could do anything um and then more recent generations it's been guys that went out got all this formal training and and technical training and brought these programs back to honolulu fire department and built up our rescue cadre and and our our technical certification and all our knowledge up to a base of where it is now today guys like you know 
Bobby Moss and Kayu Akiona and, and these guys that, that really, you know, and, you know, we're just trying to keep that up. And so when we say that, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, it's, it's guys like that, you know, really that, that kind of built all of this that we're trying to now take the torch on and, and maintain and, and continue to grow however incrementally we can, you know, but there, there was those old school guys, they were just amazing, like Kalaku Kea or Francis Puana, some of these guys. And, and then there's been in the more, maybe the last 15 years or so, guys that were just saw the writing on the wall. And that was something that was happening within the fire service in general, right? At the time, I'm sure in law enforcement, Absolutely. where they were creating these technicals and guys were writing down manuals and all of this and rope work was just advancing so fast and, and, and the technology behind it and the equipment um, and the training. And so these guys went out there, secured that and brought it back for us. We owe those guys a, a tremendous debt of gratitude and, and amazing what they've brought to us. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. I mean, hearing the names and hearing that story, hearing that third generation rescue captain, that's a big deal. It is. And I'd love to, I'd love to have somebody sit down and write that story because I'd love to read it and I'd love to keep it on my bookshelf. Um, but at some point, Blake and Kalai are going to be those legends, those rescue heroes to somebody that's coming up in the, in the <laughs> somebody's going to be coming up in, in this. There's a kid out there right now that's, that's paddling a canoe that you guys are going to be the legends to. What bit of advice would you push out to them right now as, as prospective uh, rescue guys? You, bro. Oh. <laughs> I talk you too well, much already. Well, that's par for the course. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I think uh, it's tough. I think, um, I think like we talked about, I think guys that are, you know, pretty aware of their surroundings, that have real good local knowledge. Uh, the guys I look for, I like guys who are humble. I, I like guys who are driven. Um, you know, a, a big deal just with the fire service and as well as Ellie as well. You know, it's just teamwork, being able to get along with everybody. So I think, uh, like I always tell my guys, I, I fall back on the three C's. So character, coachability, and chemistry. I think those are the things that I look for um, I strive to try and uh, bring to the table. <laughs> but, you know, I think uh, guys who have integrity, guys who can get along with everybody, guys who can just pick up and learn, like like Miller said, like I feel like we can teach guys anything, you know, and, and they'll pick it up. I mean, look at us. You know, we we didn't know anything from anybody before. I feel like, you know, just through the system, the guys that came before us, we were able to pick stuff up and uh, – just being able to gel and work as a team, as a unit. Like Kalai mentioned, there are a lot of calls, and you mentioned like what is your you know calls that you fall back on. Um, really, it's the ones that you know nobody died, it was, everything went well, but it was just me and my buddy, and we didn't we just made it happen. And uh, those are the ones where we either laughed about it after or like, damn, that was a that was a good one. A good one is like, hey. <laughs> we're lucky or whatever, you know? So I think the chemistry of it is, is a, a big deal. So yeah, that's, those are things that I look for. And uh, I want the young guys to, to think about at least. Yeah, absolutely. And, and at some point you guys are performing stuff, performing tasks that it's major league quality stuff that people don't realize that you guys, take, like I said, take for granted because of the island. You guys take for granted those things because of the level of people you hang out around, people you work around, the level of training you guys do on a daily basis. So when you guys finally sit down and write your story and, and uh, the movie producer comes in and Kalai knows exactly Not where I'm happen. going with this. Um, 
it's a big story, man. It's it's a big story. What you guys do is incredible. But if I decide to put a movie together and tell you all story, who plays you all in the movie? Well, I'm playing myself. Yeah? Yeah, I'm playing myself. You know. Uh, I can see that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chuck's, I don't know. Or I could get Jason Momoa. He's taller, you know. It'd be great. Um, no, I, yeah. I don't know. Definitely. The, he, the Rock is playing him, that's for sure. Well, I, I was, yeah. was going to ask that. Who's playing The Rock and who's, who's, got, who's got The Rock? Who's got Jason Momoa? Well, it's interesting. You know, The, the, the Rock was in that Baywatch movie, wasn't he? And, and does that guy look – I mean, all, all respect to The Rock. I think he's incredible in all the things that he does. But he don't look like a swimmer to me. That's not no. a swimmer's body. See, all that's things not. back to Baywatch. In case you guys didn't know, my friend here was on Baywatch Hawaii. So yeah, I had a, I had a cameo. Everything circles back to cameo. Baywatch, always. That was, way, that, was, that was a lifetime ago. A cameo. Um, I, yeah, I like the way you're yeah, sneaking yeah. that in there. I had a cameo. Yeah, yeah, he's, he snuck it in. But, but I, I think, you know, to, to circle back around to that question you just, uh, that Blake just answered, was um, I think make it, make it happen yeah. is an important quality. Um, as well as the, the ability to realize when you can't make it happen. When, when is the time to pull back? And when is the time to be creative, understand your stuff enough, have some experience and, and make it happen, man, make it work, but, but safely. You know, I think that's a huge quality. Guys that like give up real easy, yeah, it, we, you know, and, and more so it's like the guys that give up is not even necessarily a choice or, or an option, it's, it's more so like, how are we gonna get this done? Well, you know what, maybe we can't do it today because you know, conditions or whatever, but we're gonna come back tomorrow, we're gonna finish. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that, that's the kind of guys that I think we like, that, that take a personal investment in, in who they are and what their capability is and how they're gonna deliver that with their team and getting in on something and going all the way, be invested in it. I think that's important to me. You know, obviously, you know, we don't want to just be, keep on sending guys into a fire or whatever it is after you lost one guy. That, that's out all the way. But we're going to find a way to be successful. You know, I, there was a captain that retired recently, and one of the things he would say was, we win. That's what we do. You know, well, well, yeah. however we got to change the landscape to figure this out, we, we win. That's what we do. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a that's a great way to wrap this up. Um, make it happen and don't quit. Yeah, we win. Um, I cannot thank you guys enough. Um, y'all took some time out of your day and y'all shared personal parts of, uh, of the story of your story and and of the fire service and the fire the rescue service. It's real big for us and it's real big for the public. The, the kids out there don't know. The parents out there don't know. And we need to we need to share all this information out there as much as possible. Um, thanks for everybody who tunes in to listen to this and to watch this. It'll be available on both uh, platforms. And all we ask is you guys tune in and check our websites and, and explore out there. Explore and prepare for your, for your adventures, right? Um, Emily, let's go ahead and wrap this up and fade to black. <laughs>